0: I think it took that lifelong voice that's been in my head of "you got to do big things," you know, time is short, urgency is high. Um, I think a lot of these these characteristics and this this voice that's common among people that try to do big things for better or worse, sometimes. Uh, and I think it amplified that at that time in my life. Why do you think and that that was so? It change from feeling like this thing that a few of us in a room were building to a thing that a lot of other people were, were betting on. I mean, we, you know, these were people's pensions and and, uh, people's retirement, uh, investments that were rolling into a fund that was, um, betting on the outcome of our business. And I think, I, I think I carried that.
1: Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. Welcome again to the Reboot Podcast. I am Dan Putt. My mom was always the good one. She always followed the rules. She always got straight A's. She always stood in the line when everyone else cut it or ignored it. She never rocked the boat. She never risked upsetting anyone. But in the final days of her life, the rule follower was silenced. She delivered a very strong message to my sister and I. Don't worry about being the good one. It's just not worth it. Sometimes the darkest moments can give us the most clear messages. Sometimes the darkest moments are what we need most to let go and quiet the restraining voices in our head and allow ourselves to be cracked open. And sometimes, too, a glance at company death can shake some of our old patterns loose and open us up as leaders. Matt Munson is co-founder and CEO of 2020, the world's largest crowdsourced commercial image catalog. And he, too, had his own heart-cracking open experience. Now, Matt's company seemed to have it all working. $8 in the bank, a growing customer list, a growing team. But last spring, he saw a scarier picture a business that wasn't quite working, a company spending too much money and a dwindling bank account. The company was facing death. In this conversation with Jerry, Matt shares how his company's darkest moments, he was finally able to let go, to quiet the restraining voices, to open up and to find the leader within. Truly amazing things started to happen for him and his company. On a personal note, I must say I've known Matt for a few years now, and it's truly been a privilege to watch his journey up close. I hope you'll enjoy hearing his story as much as I've enjoyed watching it.
0: My name is Matt Hoffman, I am the VP of People. At DigitalOcean, we are in the cloud infrastructure hosting space, and uh, the Reboot Circle that I was a part of was the one for peers like myself who lead people operations, people and culture, HR functions at similar startup early-stage companies. What's really interesting about the Peer Circle is, as you'd expect, it's it's peer-based
1: coaching, so you get the benefit of trained facilitators and trained coaches through Reboot. But
0: you also have the benefit of working with peers and others in your space, and that actually creates a really powerful dynamic in terms of you're not just working through your own issues, you're working, helping peers work through their issues, which creates learning for yourself as well. And then you get the benefit of having that, that collaboration approach of people who are in that space. Reboot is currently offering eight leadership groups for vital leadership roles. New for 2017, we are launching our CEOs in Transition Circle. If you're a CEO who has recently stepped down, or if you're currently a CEO sensing a change on the horizon, this circle may be for you. You can learn more and see a complete list of Reboot Circles at reboot.io forward slash circles. This is an Hasidic tale as told by Parker Palmer. A disciple asks the Rebbe, Why does Torah tell us to place these words upon your hearts? Why does it not tell us to place these holy words in our hearts? The Rebbe answers, It is because as we are, our hearts are closed, and we cannot place the holy words in our hearts. So we place them on top of our hearts, and there they stay until one day the heart breaks and the words fall in.
2: Hey Matt, how are you? It's good to see you again.
0: Hey Jerry, I'm good. It's good to be here with you. Thanks for
2: coming on the show. And before we get started, could you just uh, take a moment introduce yourself? Tell us your full name and the company and your role, and uh, and then we'll get started.
0: Happy to reintroduce myself. So my name is Matt Munson, and I'm a co-founder and CEO at Twenty Twenty. 2020 is a marketplace for authentic stock photography.
1: Hmm.
2: Well, and, you know, in, in the spirit of truth in advertising, uh, Matt is an old friend and someone we've uh, here at Reboot have known for a while. And if I can say so, because I think you've already said some things about this, you're, you've been to our boot camp and uh, you're, you're uh, an old friend of the company's for sure.
0: I am. I, th- I think I've been to three boot camps. Uh, so I'm, uh, I'm definitely becoming an old friend. That's and, right. Uh, it's, it's been a great experience and I'm happy to be here today. Wow.
2: That's great. And and I appreciate your coming on the show. And, you know, I know you've listened to the podcast before and you, and I know that, you know, that a lot of times folks come on and they have a specific thing that they wanted to talk through and, and oftentimes things shift. So we'll see how it how it unfolds. But I I am aware that, um, in a sense, uh, part of the impetus behind coming on the show is it's related to a piece that you just recently published on Medium. Is that right?
0: That's right. And really a movement that's happening at our company, 2020, where for the first time in our Four-year history, uh, we've made a strategic decision and a personal decision to open up the company's kind of inner story um, and share it publicly, um, hopefully for the greater good and, and something that we're excited about doing internally, although it comes with its own set of nerves for sure.
2: Yeah, yeah. So just notice your breath, what was happening right there as you were saying that.
0: I feel myself, even just talking about it, tensing up a little, Um, even already having it out there. um, We pushed this first kind of big post out on Wednesday ahead of the Thanksgiving holiday. And uh, even now talking about it, I I do feel myself uh, tense up a little bit, Mm -hmm. for sure.
2: And just so we can sort of land people a little bit, what was the title on the post? Because I think that almost
0: tells it all. The title was I Burned... $10 Ten million dollars, so you don't have to. Yeah. yeah.
2: And so, what just happened? As you said that,
0: <laughs> uh, I'm smiling. I'm smiling.
2: And we're going to take a breath.
0: Yeah. What'd you feel saying that? I think it's the, it's the excitement and hopefulness side of the whole thing. Right. So there are nerves. Um, mm-hmm. and some of this I shared in the post itself. I, I mean, the post is a story of, um, really the last very difficult year that we've had at 2020, um, that we've come out of in an incredible place. Um, but that has there's the human side to the journey has been tough. Um, and, I think getting the story out there is kind of equal parts um, anxiety, shame, um, you know, that inner critic kind of really kicking up strong. Um, but then also uh, hope and excitement, uh, pride for what the teams uh, accomplished and getting through it, and uh, I, I think just a, a really shared interest across the team and. And hoping that other people that are going through hard stuff like many of us are building companies uh, have their experience somewhat normalized uh, by us getting our story out there openly Mm -hmm. so i I think that's i think that's where the smile comes from Mm -hmm. so
2: it's a it's a it's a really full and rich um, uh, palette of emotions there's some pride and there's some potential shame and there's some nervousness and perhaps even some story making going on in your head where the inner critic is saying what are you thinking what are you kidding me we don't talk about things like how we blow through 10 million dollars and this is the land of crushing it right this is the land where people equate ever-increasing valuations with success. This is not the land where people say things like, yeah, are you building a cash flow break-even business or not? Right? So that's all there. Why don't we circle back and why don't you give us a little bit, just for those of us who who are listening, who haven't had a chance to read this story, why don't you give us a little summary of the piece that you wrote?
0: Sure. Happy to. So 2020 is about four years old. Um, We started as a company and product called Instacanvas that many people may know. It it, um, grew quickly, um, had a lot of passionate users, big following, really tough business that we, what we did was we allowed you to sign up, get an online gallery for your Instagram photos and to sell those photos to your friends, family, and followers. And we hit a point where we were probably doing a million, million and a half in revenue by burning cash. We had raised a little over a million dollars from first round and bullpen and a few other great investors. Um, but we're having trouble getting the business to grow in a sustainable, predictable fashion and we hit a point where we had three or four months left of cash. And we're really trying to figure out what to do with the business and made a, um, kind of, the last ditch that, that we could take what we had built, which was a a vibrant community of photographers and a, large kind of fresh, um, catalog of real world images and pivot the business to go and, and uh, pursue the likes of Getty, Shutterstock, the kind of traditional uh, stock photo market uh, that a lot of people use, but not a lot of people like. And in doing so, we went out to try to raise some money to fund uh, really the pivot of the business to from that B2C or consumer to consumer marketplace to this new kind of uh, B2B licensing service and found ourselves in a uh, surprising but very favorable position of having access to um, quite a bit of venture capital um, from um, a handful of investors that were interested in in funding this pivot, ended up uh, doing an $8 million round about a little over two years ago uh, with Caden Partners and went about um, pivoting the business. So found ourselves in a place where we had a lot of cash in the bank and uh, but had no customers really to speak of on uh, where the business was going on this B2B licensing service. And so it took us uh, about uh, half a year to really get the inner pipings of that new service built. And uh, we launched in February of last year um, our, our licensing service. And the the story in the in the Medium post is really about what happened from that point through the last couple of months, uh, because we found ourselves in a position that's that I think is very familiar to venture back startup founders, and this is my first time running a venture back company, where the pressure for growth uh, becomes kind of an all consuming thing. And I mentioned in the post that I don't think in our case this was even imposed. By the board or by our investors, um, we've been very fortunate to have very patient investors that take a very long-term view on things. Um, this is really this pressure really came largely from me and from the team. Uh, we uh, had targets we were trying to hit and um, felt a need to to grow quickly in order to raise more capital, and that was the mindset that we were in.
2: So, I just want to, I'm going to interrupt you f- just for a moment and just bring your attention to that. So, most of the pressure to grow, because this is a little bit contrary to the sort of mythology that is often out there, which is that if you take investment capital, all of a sudden you're going to have these rapacious investors who are driving you in a particular way. But the pressure to grow was from and I'm quoting you now, I think, from you and a little bit from your team. And it's probably worth saying that you hired the team that was creating the pressure internally. Is that right? You're laughing.
0: I'm laughing, yeah, because uh, what, uh, that Ben Harrowitz comment of I'm the I'm the founding CEO and at the end of the day, everything's my fault. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's totally true. So, yes, I, uh, I uh, recruited, you know, be them co-founders or... Employees recruited that team and uh and kind of in,
2: injected them with the same anxiety, right?
0: Which I was think that's right, yeah. Which
2: which was in order to okay, so there was this moment where you'd raise the money. Hallelujah, hats off, that's great, congratulations, and it's a pivot. And I'm imagining there was a little bit of an oh shit moment. Oh shit, we raised this money. Now we really have to get serious.
0: Does that <laughs> resonate? Yeah, I think, uh, I think we were trying to raise two and a half or 3 million and, you know, it was the spring of 2014 and capital was fairly accessible. Valuations were high and yeah, we found ourselves with $8 million and certainly, uh, there was a, a bit of that, oh shit feeling. Now we, not only do we need to go build something, which we were excited to do that part of it, but the expectations even on ourselves of man, these, you know, these folks really took a big bet on us. Um, there's a lot of money. There's a lot of opportunity here. Tell me about that. What did that do to you? The expectations from these
2: really good investors who gave you a lot more money than you at first thought.
0: I think it took that lifelong voice that's been in my head of you got to do big things. You know, time is short. Urgency is high. Um, I think a lot of these these characteristics and this, this voice that's common among people that try to do big things for better or worse sometimes uh, and I think it amplified that at that time in my life
2: why do you think and that that was so
0: it changed from feeling like this thing that a few of us in a room were building to a thing that a lot of other people were were betting on I mean we you know these were people's Pensions and, and uh, people's retirement uh, investments that were rolling into a fund that was um, betting on the outcome of our business, and I think I, I think I carried that. So the
2: stakes go up, but yeah, I'm I'm going to go on a limb here because I really appreciate the vulnerability and the openness that you're you're demonstrating, and and I know that that's part of the theme here, and and there's a wish here for you. So you said something before. You said, like a lot of people, I wanted to do big things. Am I am I saying that right?
0: Yes, I think wanted to, and also, f- uh, yeah, for, for a lot of years of my life, have felt um, almost like I owed it. I've owed it. I don't know to whom, but I've yeah. I've, I've I've carried a burden of a need to do yeah, big things. Yeah. What is the opposite of that feeling? I think it's self-acceptance. Which, which,
2: Well, sure. But before we go to that, because I think what you're doing is you're, you're, you're finding a way, which is, is great. You're finding a way to help yourself manage that feeling. But what if you didn't do big things? What does that inner voice say about you?
0: That you didn't live up to your potential or what Uh, you've been given. Right. Right.
2: The reason I wanted to bring your attention to that is when you hear that voice, Matt or Matthew, right? You didn't live up to your, you're not living up to your potential. Great things are expected from you you better not blow this. Here's your shot. You better not blow this. Does that have any resonance?
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds a lot like that voice in my head, which sounds a lot like my father's voice <laughs> now that you mention it. Right.
2: Right. So, I bring your attention to this because oftentimes behind the anxiety, so again, we're going to go back in time. There's the $8 million cash. Woo! Congratulations. There are a bunch of people who listen to this podcast going, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? He set out to raise $2.5 million. He raised eight, And then he kind of went a little nuts. What's wrong with him if I had that chance? Yeah. And the truth is that you, not only are you normalizing this the experience of quote-unquote blowing through, we'll get to that language in a moment, my friend. <laughs> but I want to bring your attention to the fact that there's this funny little thing that goes on, which is, yes, I start to feel responsible for people's pension funds. And the voice that has always said, You better do great things or else you are nothing, right? It's kind of a binary choice that we live with. I'm either great and living up to my potential or I'm a piece of shit. You're nodding. Does this make sense?
0: Yeah. This sounds a lot like the way that I think on a daily basis. Right. Right? And so we pendulate between those two
2: states. And then people whom we admire, and you've got some really great investors, give you the affirmation. And instead of calming the anxiety, it actually raises the anxiety, which then becomes a kind of like It, it, it finds its voice in, we'd better grow to prove them right. We'd better grow to get a good valuation in our next round. Now, where should your focus have been? In
0: hindsight. In hindsight, I... Regret that we did not keep put our focus directly on learning, um, staying lean until we really had the model and the business figured out, and allowed ourselves to let that model and business be what you referenced earlier. Um, How does this become a business ultimately where there's more money at the end of the day than there is in the morning? Yeah, yeah
2: that 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 line i often oh i often and i think i've said this before reminds me of my grandfather dominic guido who came to this country with nothing and built a huge ice business right in brooklyn and was one of the was very successful entrepreneur and had nothing more than a sixth grade education but for him business was about having more money at the end of the day than he had at the beginning of the day and one of the disorienting, accelerating factors of raising capital is that it can distort that and it can trigger not just for Matt, but for a whole bunch of people of a kind of strange view around what success is. And I will acknowledge that not all investors are like your investors. Many investors Buy into the same thing because they're playing into this notion of successful exit and skipping the part where you build a business.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, one thing that I, I really wanted to be mm. conscious of as we started talking about this is everyone always talks about the, like, points the finger at the investors in mm. on, on BC. And negates the fact that we, the we, the entrepreneurs, went out looking for capital, understanding their investment structure. And I think that we are as as if not more complicit in creating this environment where um, where it's growth at all costs, where we're not where it's not cool to talk about building a business that actually makes money. Um, and acting as if there's some binary conflict between growth and revenue or growth and profitability. And I just don't think that's the case, at least not most of the time. And so we were, I, I as we, as I started telling the story, um, wanted to kind of own my part of that um, because we've, and I don't want to skip to the end, but we've been surprised to learn that those things don't have to be binary, binary conflicts. Mm.
2: Mm. Well, I think that's but I think that that's a, the, the fact you're, quote, skipping to the end. I think that's that's a brilliant uh, and important lesson, um, which is that not only does it not have to be binary, but but the true strength of a leader. If you remember this image from the from the boot camp the true strength of a leader right has both a strong back of a warrior and the open heart meaning that a really successful leader embodies a whole bunch of things that may seem to be in conflict you mean we have values and we drive for profit that's correct they're not in conflict You mean we're exciting and creative and spontaneous and innovative and fiscally disciplined? That's right. They're not in conflict. In fact, the most successful innovative businesses grow their cash flow so that they can fund... I know it's a a foreign word, right? Cash flow. They grow their cash flow so that they can fund business and then if they choose to raise additional capital... They raise additional capital to fund the business that's working. Such a novel concept. Such a novel concept.
0: And there is part of this that's real where the market and the cost of capital determines what is fiscally responsible. Mm. And the part, we don't talk about this, I didn't talk about this in the post, and it, it's a topic for another post. Um, but there was a reality in the funding environment in the last 12 to 18 months where the cost of capital shifted uh, substantially, um, the thing that we didn't do well, that, and a mistake that I hope to never make again is we were operating as if capital was cheap and accessible, um, which was fine, but operating as if it would always be cheap and accessible. And all of a sudden I understood why when you show up at Amazon, you build your own desk. because if you're rebuilding that, if you're rebuilding the engine um, around an entirely new understanding of the accessibility of capital on the fly, um, as we found, that's a very painful experience. And that's, that's really the, the heart of this thing was, um, you know, some, th- some things were mistakes, some things were, um, um, I think we would do again, but what we would not, what we would not do again is be unaware of the fact that capital markets change Mm. and companies are hard to rebuild um, mid-flight. I
2: I think you've said it really well. It sounds like you've had some really good lessons that you've internalized over this last year. That's why I kind of reject the notion of blue through. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, it takes a while to sort through a business that's working, a business that's not working, what what works, what doesn't, especially when you're not only inventing a new company, but inventing a new business model. Now, sure, was there did people self-photographs before? Sure. But there's so much new about the way in which you're doing this that it's kind of as, as if you've invented a new business model. And um, there's an old, old phrase that I that I used to use all the time when I was an investor, which was what is the analog analog? And in this case, the analog, non-digital analog to this business, stock photography. But we're also for the last twenty years have been living in a world where the middleman, middle person, is being taken out of equations. And so all these changes are influencing and influenced your journey to figuring out a, a what appears to be the business model that works. So let's take a step back. Where's the company now? How are you doing?
0: Uh, the company now is, uh, growing, uh, um, very nicely, um, quite predictably. Um, we, uh, uh, are growing about twice as quickly as we were six months ago when we were 55 people and we're now 12 people. So there's been a, a, a lot of changes. Um, we've landed in a place where mm-hmm. we've got a team that is lean and comprised primarily of engineering and growth marketing and have really um, broken down the things that matter to a, a couple of key things. And that's what we're focused on today. Um, we're on a clear path to not only growing revenue quickly and serving thousands of customers, including uh, amazing people like Google, Microsoft, Uber, Birchbox, NBC, on and on down the list, um, but also on a path to being profitable <laughs> next, next year, which is a word that we didn't use to throw around a lot. Um, and... and I think for us this idea that not only can you know that we can do all these things at once and we can do it by focusing on less. So that's where we are today. So, you know what happens to profitable companies? They stay alive.
2: <laughs> and profitable businesses create optionality for themselves. Profitable business may raise additional capital so that they can expand their business. Profitable businesses may choose not to raise additional capital, but enjoy generating positive cash flow. Profitable businesses have many more choices than unprofitable businesses. Again, sounds obvious. Now, in some cases, it does make sense to drive growth and to sacrifice near-term profitability. But in those cases, in my experience, those cases are really limited to the times in which you still understand what your business model is. You really understand and you're sacrificing near-term profitability because you clearly, you have a clear understanding of the application of those extra dollars and how it's going to generate profits in the long term. You can see it you could be wrong yeah. but at least you can see it
0: i think that's right and i think the big learning for us the last year was um not only you know i think leveraging venture capital or outside investment when it fuels the growth of a clear business model um i think i think we all kind of get that um and I think, you know, certainly it's becoming it's becoming much more talked about that um, many companies receive too much capital too early, um, and the expectations that come along with it, it you know, internally imposed or externally imposed, make the business uh, very challenging. I think the part that I just t- was totally blind to um, related to the. Uh, the complications and distraction that come with with with, this, with building the organization before the business model is really clear, right? Mm-hmm. So people talk people will talk about venture capital backed companies and the inefficiency of needing to fundraise and the distraction that comes into that and having to deal with board members and a bigger constituency. Mm-hmm. But the thing for us that, um, <laughs> that I just did, didn't calculate early on, and I think most people don't. Is it's it takes a shit ton of work to manage an organization of 30 40 50 60 people um, we were joking in our executive meeting this morning we used to in our meeting we always have this kind of issue session where we we go we talk through and and try to solve any issues that are going on within the organization that are preventing us from succeeding and we used to have this list of like 60 things that were going wrong that we were trying to fix and now we're you know, we're 12 people, like we have one or two in a given week and it takes us like seven minutes to get through them. And we're building twice as fast. We're revenues growing twice as fast. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're leveraging technology better. People are just focused. And I, I think you can, you know, I certainly, we aspire to grow and we aspire to build a larger organization. Um, but we're going to build it in a very different way. And I, I think, um, you know, we certainly looking in, looking ahead at the growth a year a year ago or a year and a half ago, didn't understand that growing too early would bring such organizational distraction, and uh, it's been really powerful to return to a different team size um, and kind of get to rebuild with the lessons learned.
2: Um, so I'm I'm going to take advantage of a, a little bit of prior knowledge, even though you do reference this in the post, but I know a little bit more about what had happened. Can you? I want to talk about your investors for a moment, and very specifically, I'm curious if, about to hear a little bit more about that day during the summer. Do you remember the day I'm talking about? where you all gathered together?
0: What was that day like? Yeah, I you're referring to the day that we planned a layoff.
2: Yeah. Well, well, when you got everybody together and you remember talking to your investors as if they were a partner.
0: Uh, So, so yeah, we we had a few big days this summer. Um, One of them, we had an offsite with uh, with our board and a couple of advisors in our senior team. And. at Jerry's encouragement, uh, I didn't tell everyone at the time that it was Jerry's idea. Well, I'll let the cat out of the bag now. But Jerry's encouragement, we took a very different approach um, to the problem. And but uh, you, do... you, you, you
2: were clearly seeing that you were headed in a in yeah. the wrong direction.
0: So I referenced in the post a little bit. But I, um, my this is the first company I've ever had a board, um, mm. and I, I spent the first couple of years running this business feeling like I had to show up for board meetings with answers to the problems and executive meetings with answers to the problems. And mostly just felt stressed out uh, all the time. Mm -hmm. And like I was failing because I didn't know all the answers and we've moved toward a very different approach. And that meeting this summer was really a pinnacle moment of that, where we knew the business model as it stood was failing. We had grown from 20 people at the beginning of the year to 55 and, Uh, May, June, and our burn rate had grown from a couple hundred thousand a month to half a million plus. And I share some of the details in the post, but in short, our sales engine that had worked really well early on uh, started to show pretty big signs of cracking as we tried to scale it. And we had a we had we. What I didn't know was how to exactly how to broach that um, subject with our with our board, mm-hmm. particularly as we talked about what to do with the company and options for funding. And uh, in part at Jerry's behest, what, what, what we decided to do was to take the problem and open it up and just invite people into it. And so we had an offsite and we brought in um, the board advisors, senior team, and we just shared the question, um, you know, we, this is what we see happening. This is what we know about the business, our customers. We know there's a real market here. Um, we know customers want the product. They'll use it. There's a significant problem with our acquisition strategy, and we d- we're not sure what to do. And we had executives from different parts of the business share um, a deep dive background. And then we opened up the question, and we spent the day really just getting curious and talking about it together. And it was amazing. <laughs> it was a day that I was dreading, and it was one of my favorite days of my career. Um, just some of the best work that um, I've been a part of.
2: What did it feel like? I know you were dreading it, and I know that you. you, you it was. It was all about, you know, exposing. Perhaps you didn't know the answers, and and. Uh, but what was it like after you took that? deep breath and you said we got a problem as a company we we had this is a shared problem what happened
0: i stopped feeling alone as a ceo probably for the first time in my career and that day became a pinnacle experience that changed the way that i work entirely Mm -hmm. because all of a sudden um I didn't feel like I had to be alone in my head with the problems, and I started. I, I, I watched this group of great people come together, and you know, with with to my surprise, <laughs> no judgment. No, there were no negative. You know, no one threw stones at me for not introducing the answers alongside the problems. In fact, they all kind of lit up and asked questions and dug in and got excited and brainstormed, and in- including
2: strangers who had no equity in the company. But we're friends, employees, colleagues, and big, scary board member investors, right?
0: Everybody in one circle.
2: Yeah. Everybody in one circle, rolling up their sleeves. Okay, I've never asked you this before. Why do you think they did it, Matt? Are they bored? Who did they do it for?
0: This is really hard for me to say, but I I think they did it for me. I think they believe
2: in you. And I think they were welcome. They were happy to be welcomed into your crazy mind. And the benefit was you had some real creative solutions and you had some people who volunteered to help out in unexpected and beautiful ways. Now, they also believed in each other, they believed in the full team, they believed in the mission. But there was a unifying force, and the unifying force wasn't because of the strength of your intellect and your ability to have all the answers. Is because of the front side of that warrior, your heart. Ah, see, now I'm going to make you cry.
0: <laughs> yeah, you just might.
2: Yeah.
0: And that's the, I mean, the part of the understanding of the job that's just totally changed for me. Mm. Um, a year ago, the way that I operated, I, I, I get out of my car. I try to put a mask of confidence and and, uh, clarity on and walk in and try my damnedest for 10 hours to be the guy that knew the answer to to impossible questions. Um, And uh, that day and days like it um, really freed me and also showed me that I had no idea. but I I, uh, I wasn't even doing the actual job of being a CEO I was doing some other job mm-hmm. um, and now I see the actual job and get to actually have fun um, looking at hard problems and bringing smart passionate people around them which it turns out I actually am good at and really like to do <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'll tell you, the experience of uh, of preparing for a board meeting is now is just so much better. Um, yeah, totally different.
2: So, last question, and then I think we can start to wrap. I'm imagining you shared that post with people before you you hit the send button or the publish button. Is that right? I did. What were some of the reactions you got?
0: <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I shared it with our team first, and I was really surprised and the, by the way people lit up and were just excited about the idea of sharing our story. Mm. Um, I, I thought, I, I don't know what I thought. I, I, I didn't expect them to have such excitement around it, um, so that was neat to see. I shared it with uh with our lead investor and i expected her to heavily edit and edit it i expected her to heavily edit it and send it back and uh she just wrote back i love it go for it Mm -hmm. let's do more and god that was amazing Mm -hmm. um i shared it with uh a couple of um colleagues that are no longer with the company, and uh, they were supportive and excited and helpful. Hmm. And uh, I shared it with a handful of friends and advisors, and, and most of them were excited. Uh, five or six of them asked me what the hell I was thinking. <laughs> and I'm, that made me really nervous. Um, I mean, those I, you know, I generally don't do things that those people that I trust tell me are a little bit crazy and I mean, we'll see. It's only been a week. Maybe they were right. I'll find out. But uh, have
2: you had any reactions from the, from the world?
0: Yeah. uh, A lot of reactions. Um, So far, all of them, very positive, very supportive um, and very grateful. Mm. Not not that there's any answers in that post, but I, I think just, I think a lot of us are feeling the same things and nobody's talking about a lot of them. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, so far it's been very affirming and, and very happy that I <laughs> sat and stared at and then pushed that publish button. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can redefine a little
2: bit the definition of success to include a couple attributes that I hear you're experiencing now. Profitability in sight. Growing revenue, cohesive team, happy, fun, a partnership with the board, a partnership with your investors. Maybe this is success.
0: (laughs) Definitely sounds a lot more like the life I want to lead than uh, (laughs) the one I've experienced at times.
2: Well, I also want to add my gratitude to you—not only for coming on the show, but for also for your heart, your wisdom, your growth. Um, you know, as people can tell from our banter back and forth, we've known each other for a while, and one of the greatest gifts in my life is to bear witness to someone's growth, someone's self-actualization, and stepping into their leadership. You know, this point that you were making before about, I don't know what the job I was doing before, but now I understand what my job is. Yeah, and I watched you take on the mantle of leadership. Leaders are not born in easy times. They're born, as I wrote in a blog post for Fred Wilson's blog, in the crucible, quoting Warren Bennis, Eaters are born in the crucible. And he picked the crucible as his defining metaphor because that's when lead was turned into gold by the alchemist. That's where lead was turned into gold by the alchemist. That's where we're born. So we won't know for a few more years if that was your crucible moment, but I have a sinking suspicion that's what it was. (laughs) Yeah because you start to feel in your stomach the difference between leading and mistaking motion for meaning and busyness for purpose. Right Here you are holding the container of leadership for everybody in the room by clearly presenting the problem and seducing them because you're charming seducing them to help you solve the problem
0: well done well done thank you jerry i uh i really appreciate your partnership in the middle of uh that journey and um not just yours but i mean the reason i'm here sharing today in part is because of the courage and openness of other people um that have been on this podcast and um involved in the reboot content. So it's been a pleasure to be here and, and be a part of it and um looking forward to uh continuing the journey together.
2: And our next boot camp.
0: <laughs> you know me, I'll be there.
1: I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please consider leaving us a rating on iTunes. Your rating is the single most effective way for new listeners to find and enjoy the show. You can also get all Reboot podcast episodes by signing up at Reboot.io slash sign up. There's a link for that in our show notes. I am Dan Putt from Reboot, and you've been listening to the Reboot podcast. Thanks for joining. How long till my soul gets it right?